friend, it's Andra Zaharia, and I'm grateful you chose to be my partner in Cyber Empathy today. Journey with me through the lives and minds of people who prioritize connection, curiosity, and kindness in everything they do. Let's find out together how empathy cultivates hope, how it builds resilience, and helps us see how our actions influence others. It's time to unlearn stereotypes and see beyond technology to discover what truly makes our world safer. I'll help you carry over these insights and examples into your everyday practice. Promise. Let's go exploring, shall we? Start where you are, use what you have. Today's guest is a perfect example of walking the talk on just that, on helping other people realize what they're good at and how can they contribute to cybersecurity exactly from where they are with their background, with their existing knowledge and skills. Alyssa Miller is one of my favorite people in cybersecurity, not just because she's bold, because she advocates for the right things, because her values are strong and because she practices them, with compassion and empathy, but also because she shares her own stories and thinking in a way that elevates conversations and in a way that gets us all to learn from her experience. She is a really special type of person and and the story she shares in this episode about the value of conferences and, and the spirit of being a hacker and what that means and how that contributes to making the world a better place are not just fascinating, but they're actually extremely inspiring and empowering. As much as that word gets thrown around, I feel like it really makes a difference in the way that she does it because she's thoughtful about her approach, because she genuinely cares about other people, and because she is brave enough to put conversations in this community that actually makes us think more flexibly, be better towards others, and be better towards ourselves. I'm very excited to bring you this conversation that talks about empathy in a way that makes a real meaningful difference. So welcome to Cyber Empathy, and I hope you enjoy getting to know Alyssa a bit better and diving into some of her perspectives and some of her work. I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Enjoy. This is a very special day because I get to talk to you, Alyssa, today on Cyber Empathy. Thank you for being here and thank you for all of the amazing work that you do for this community in so many ways that are visible and in so many more ways that we cannot see. I'm so excited for this. I'm shrinking now. Like um, there's so much blushing happening at the moment. Oh my gosh, I, I feel like that's a lot of buildup. Now I gotta, I gotta live up to all that. But uh, thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. I feel like that's not enough buildup, honestly. Simply because for someone like me who's been watching you for so many years and, and learning from you and learning from the conversations that you start and from the things that you challenge, it's such a gift that you're in this community and that you're doing this work that makes a lot of people uncomfortable and that many people don't know how to bring up across a a range of topics and where I'm going to get specific eventually (laughs) and not just, not just keep things, uh, in a, a, like a very conceptual level. But first I wanted to start with something different. I wanted to ask you 
what is the like the last time or the most recent time that you remember being on the receiving side of an empathetic experience, whatever that was? I mean, it happens a lot, honestly. I mean, even just just today, like I was, I had a horrible weekend with some family crisis and, you know, I had a couple people reach out this morning and just someone from work who reached out and just kind of asked, hey, how's it going? What, are you doing okay after all that? Whatever. And, you know, I mean, just that simple thing of like, hey, I realize you're also a human being. Yeah, you're our CISO, but we also know that you're like human like the rest of us. And when family crap goes down, it can be an unpleasant experience. That to me is what empathy is about. It's like, just, hey, I understand you're a human. I understand the human experience. All our perspectives are different. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we can start to understand each other a little bit. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry that you're you're going through the harder experiences in life. Adulting is taking the good with the bad and kind of making space for it all and living with both the things that give us pain and the ones that make us happy. That combination never ends. The fact that you've built this community around you and that you're surrounded by people who really echo the same values, they resonate with the same things and with, with these principles, I feel is a testament to your work because that doesn't just happen. I don't just believe we this doesn't naturally happen. I feel we have to seek these things within ourselves and then try to cultivate it in relationships with others. And I was wondering if this has like always been a reality for you or if you've worked intently on seeking out these kind of people and doing work that's, that's meaningful with them and what that process looked like for you. So, I mean, I would argue I didn't create a community per se, and that, that's, I'm not you know, arguing with what you're saying, but I, I would just say, I think the community has always been there, but I do think the community gravitates toward people they identify with. To answer the question, no, I, it wasn't something I set out to do. It never is. It's just, honestly, I have a big mouth. I don't know how to stop talking. And I think what speaks to the people that seem to come together in circles that I'm a part of is just being authentic and being genuine. Just understanding that, again, like I said before, we're all human. And while we may not like everyone around us and some people less than others, at the end of the day, everybody's still a human being. And responding to dislike or conflict with absolute toxicity and contempt isn't conducive to anything. It's not going to make you a better person. It's not going to make you a happier person. It's not going to increase your success. And it's certainly not going to do that for the community at large. I do think that I have been... It's a mixed blessing, I guess you would call it, being uh, probably one of the a more empathetic person. You know, I don't believe in the you know supernatural idea of being an empath, where like you you legit like see and feel things of people far away. But if there's an, a, a real world example of that, I feel like I have some elements of that. In that, I've always had a pretty strong emotional connection to what other people were feeling where I can very much sense and sometimes do feel what I believe they're feeling anyway. Right. I mean, I, you never can know for sure what someone else is feeling, but that's helped right in, in tech. I mean, I remember very early in my career, a leader I had who referred to me as the great translator. 
because I could walk into those meetings. This is when I was still a developer. I could walk into those you know meetings where you've got developers, you've got business people, you've got project and product people all in there trying to communicate across barriers just in language and understanding so that everybody could get on the same page was just something that I always excelled at. I mean, it literally, that was one of those things that always showed up on my performance appraisals, right? Was my ability to do that. And I credit that to being empathetic. So I think when I share things in the community, I'm just motivated by my own desires of what I want to see the community become. But that's just natural for me that that's kind of how I communicate is in a way that can draw people who maybe don't see their the commonality of their emotions and their ideas and their perspectives. I can usually, I feel like I'm, I'm better at being able to draw that out, if that makes sense. It does. And you really are. And we can see this like freely with the number of people that get involved in these conversations and, and start like building on your ideas and share their own experiences. And I feel like this is such an invaluable part of the community. That's how I learned like most of the things that I know about cybersecurity, about my role as a communicator, about psychology, a bunch of other things, just people having these conversations in public and having someone start them, having someone open up a debate on a specific topic and doing so with thoughtfulness and doing so with nuance and doing so for a good reason and not just to get retweets and so on and so forth, because we've seen those toxic conversations and how those things go. Like you mentioned earlier, though, it, they seem like a, an uptick in fame. It's never less and it never amounts to anything meaningful. Thank you for, for sharing that experience of yours of, you know, being the translator in the room. And I was wondering if you look like even further back in your personal history, is there an, an inflection point that made you pay attention particularly to these things or perhaps some life experiences that amounted to being more attuned to what people feel and how do you think about things and, and being able to draw that out from them? Yeah, so I actually don't. I don't think there was a specific inflection point. Um, and this is kind of why I almost equate it to like that idea of an empath because I feel like it was just something that was always natural to me. There are some moments in my life that kind of stand out as moments where I started to notice it. I mean, and this is going to sound so wild. I can't believe we're going here. This is so crazy. But um, I mean, I remember being a little kid. I, I don't know. I must have been seven, maybe. I couldn't put a number on it. And I remember seeing this four-year-old. I don't remember where we were or anything else, but I saw this like three, four-year-old kid who had an ice cream cone. And the ice cream fell off the cone, right? Fell onto the ground, it's ruined. And this kid was crying. And I just remember feeling their sadness in that moment. Like, it was like, oh my God, you know? And it, it wasn't what I imagine is just the average reaction to seeing somebody. Like someone might say, I'm saying, oh, I feel bad for that kid or something. But this was like, I almost wanted to cry. I felt it and I knew what that was like to be in that moment. And so that's kind of more what I think it, it wasn't like there was like a moment where it, I started to consciously think about doing things different. It was like, this was always there. And maybe I just sort of started to realize more and more that what I went through in those moments wasn't what everybody experiences when they're going through the same thing. And so, you know, to be able to connect with other people's emotions that way is just, like I said, it's a mixed blessing because there are times where, you know, things happen 
And, you know, I can read something in the media and all of a sudden, like I'm in that person's place and I'm feeling that. And it, that's horrible. You know, <laughs> there are times. But in the end, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for it because I, I feel like it's allowed me to always be focused on, I guess, uh, and I use this hashtag, do better, be better. Right. It allows me to do things to try to be better, which I feel like ultimately is how you become a better person. It really is. And that's how we show others that this is a type of behavior that is good and conducive with good things in our lives. I feel like we're we're in a space where where things can get so competitive, where ambition is so valued, where it's not just the general traits of a society led by capitalism, which totally amplifies individualistic behaviors and all of the things that we're we're well acquainted with. But cybersecurity being such a competitive domain where you feel like the only way to get ahead is by like doing your own things and, and pushing day after day and learning and trying to advance and, you know, building a brand and building a persona and so on and so forth that that can really take away from the experience of being in this community, of connecting with others, of sharing things, of learning from others, of just enjoying the process of developing your career and developing your learning and, and understanding of the world. So I was wondering, because through through all of your community contribution and your, your work, I just assume that you've probably seen people change their perspective and go from this individualistic, like really hustle mode to perhaps a more mindful way of connecting with people and, and themselves. Have you seen these kind of behaviors, this kind of switch in the industry? And how have you seen people like perhaps start to change their minds as a result of one of the conversations you've started, one of the talks you gave, or perhaps by reading your book? First of all, I've seen the change in myself, right? I feel like I've changed a lot in how I approach things. I think one thing that's always been there is kind of my love and loyalty of, you know, at the time I would have called it the hacker community. Now I just look at it as the cybersecurity community overall. But I mean, I grew up in hacker culture. My teens, I was that bullied kid, that kid that people didn't get. I mean, I bought a computer at 12, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, like what kid did that, right? I was into this weird computer thing that no one else was into in my small school. I was definitely a misfit. And I found my space in the hacker community. So, you know, I, I think I saw, first of all, just that, that change in me to realize how important that community was in my own life and to really become more and more focused on trying to build and preserve and grow that community. That's the community I care about. Yeah, I've seen it in others. I have seen others, and I don't know if it's me or I'm not going to take credit for it, certainly, but maybe it's in response to some stuff I've done. Maybe it's in response to some other stuff. Maybe it's in response to the fact that there are a lot of people out there like me who have a similar approach to things. But I have definitely, through even just interactions on social media, seen how people have become more aware of how simple terminology and things even can be hugely impactful to other people. Growing self-awareness was something, you know, I had to go through it. And I think we all do as we become, well, I shouldn't say all, because I do believe there are people who just seem to lack it and never get there. But I think there's a lot of people who, you know, are on this 
progression of continuing to build and grow their own self-awareness and see how their actions impact other people. One of the most important things you start to realize, and a good friend of mine says this all the time, about impact oftentimes being more important than intent. Well, I didn't intend to hurt your feelings. Yeah, but you freaking did. So understanding that, oh, crap, then that's the thing, right? That, that is that growth where you go from trying to defend, well, I didn't mean to do that, or this was what I was trying to do, to not caring about having to defend yourself and instead saying, you know, it really doesn't matter what I intended to do because what I did caused harm in some way, large or small, and I need to atone for that or correct that or, or do something about that, learn and grow so I don't do that again. And so people who care about how they impact other people are the ones who get to that level, I think, of self-awareness. And I've definitely seen that grow. I've learned it from other people, how to do that. And I've been able to, to, I feel like I've grown in my own self-awareness from watching others who brought that same perspective to me. Yes, I totally resonate with that because the same has happened for me. I've had access to all of these views that have really made my thinking more flexible and more open than I thought it was and that I thought it could be. And it's made me honestly a better person, first of all, to myself, because when we learn to do that with ourselves, we can be better with others. If we hold ourselves in a prison and under some very tight rules, if we constantly have this inner dialogue where we feed our own self-limiting beliefs with, I can't do that. That's not for me. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing this, this, and that. Then that becomes the way we see the world. And that becomes the way we evaluate others. And that makes us judgmental. And it spirals into something that can become quite, quite toxic. And thank you for sharing that example of impact over intent, because that let, actually led me to think about something that I learned in a course I did on listening skills. And one of the key tenets is that if the other person misunderstands you or mishears you, it's because you didn't communicate well enough, not because that it is that person's fault they didn't hear you. And I really love that thing. I try to remember it <laughs> when my when my boyfriend doesn't hear what I say of like, ah, I didn't communicate clearly enough, so <laughs> I need to do some work on that. You know who struggles the most with that fact? And I will call that a fact. This community has such a hard time accepting that, right? And when I say this community, I mean cybersecurity. The number of conversations I get into where someone has this perspective of, I'll, I'll go with an extreme example, the, the stupid user argument, right? I, I tell them this all the time and they still do this thing. Well, then you're not communicating it right to them, are you? Like our job as cybersecurity people isn't to just implement a bunch of technology and controls. Our job is education. We're here to help everybody else see the world the way we do from a cybersecurity lens of, holy crap, what could go wrong with this idea? How many times do you see tweets like that? Oh, hey, what could possibly be bad about an IoT candle with a real flame that lights itself but then can't be put out remotely? Like, you know, the weird things like this that are, that's a real example, by the way. I get into so many heated conversations with cybersecurity people who aren't able to accept that, that, you know what? 
if someone else isn't hearing what you're saying or they're not responding, instead of blaming them, and I'm not saying they're not without their blame too, but consider how you could change your approach to be more effective in persuading or educating them. So if I go to my board and say, hey, I want funding for X initiative. Let's say I want a million dollars to do some whiz bang new thing. And they say no. Well, I can sit there and get mad at the board and then go nowhere. Or I can sit down and say, hmm, why wasn't I able to convince them that this was a high enough priority to spend a million dollars on? I know it is. Why, why didn't they get that message? And how could have I framed it differently? And what can I do now to frame it differently going forward so that maybe six months or a year down the road, I can win that funding? And that is a hard, hard challenge. Because again, it comes back to that self-awareness. It comes back to that being able and willing to challenge yourself that you don't know it all. You are not the smartest person in the room. And you have something to learn from other people as much as they have to learn from you. Those are all hard lessons to learn and accept, but they're necessary if you really want to be successful in really any career. Oh, oh, so yes, yes to all of that. And absolutely. And the curses of knowledge is so real, isn't it? That bias that gets built in time where we're like, ah, you're such a, a cybersecurity superstar, which is something that I've learned is not a good way to use as a label simply because I, mean, it I don't like it anyway. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Because we pin unrealistic expectations on people. We, we build them up. We sometimes don't really see the whole picture. So we kind of look unilaterally at some people just from a, a specific angle. And sometimes they end up believing all of those things about themselves and holding them so true at the core of their identity that they're afraid to let them go. They're afraid that having this feedback that you're not a good enough communicator can shatter all of that identity. Although it's not true because we all have like sides of ourselves which are overdeveloped and underdeveloped and that's perfectly normal. And the reason why I don't like it yeah, it, it's definitely not fair to the people who are getting kind of idolized. It puts those bad expectations on them that aren't really fair. I know it's meant complimentary, obviously. But what bothers me most about it is that it, it just sets up what is a, I won't go so far as to say it's a toxic relationship, but it, it sets up a relationship that's destined to, as you, you kind of pointed out, end in some level of disappointment and whatnot. Because, I mean, first of all, the person who looks at someone else and says, my God, they're, you know, they're a superstar. There's kind of that attitude of they're so much greater than I could ever be, which is so false because, again, we're all just humans. We all make stupid mistakes. We all do dumb things. We all do really cool and amazing things. Even if you can't give yourself credit for it, it happens. A friend of mine puts it best when she says, you know, she's another cybersecurity, large platform person out there. You know, her, her thing is, I don't want fans. I want friends. And that's just it. If you look at somebody as this idealized image of them or as some superstar or whatever, you can never be friends with them. That won't work. If you look at them and say, wow, they do some really impressive work. I want to get to know them better. Hey, that sets up the perfect situation for a friendship. 
you know, if you want to come talk to someone who's done a lot of, you know, like really cool stuff, you think it's great and you want to talk more about it. Great. And I guarantee you for most people in this industry, they're going to also want to hear about what are you working on? What is the cool stuff you're doing? And, it, and it's hard, again, because you're, of course, the natural tendency for a lot of people is to then, oh, well, I haven't done anything as cool as they have. Baloney. Everybody does something that's cool and someone else wants to know about. Because as you said, we can't all know everything about everything. No one can. People are always going to be fascinated by something about you that, or something you do or something you've accomplished that they haven't been able to experience. I totally agree. And this brings me back to my memories of going to conferences and hearing people speak about their particular topic that they spent years and years researching. And it may be something that's like super obscure corner case of security, but they're so into it. And that triggers you to think about go on a different tangent and go on your like on your own mental path and figure out like, oh, look, this brings up something for me that I want to work on, or this could helps connect two ideas in my head that I never put together up until now. It's it's that kind of interaction and collaboration that makes this space so special. It's that place for being yourself, for not having to pretend to be someone else. And this is what I actually love the cybersecurity community for, because we get to be like our flawed and perfect selves constantly looking to make the world a better place, even though some, maybe many of our efforts fail, but some of them actually succeed and they just touch someone and then it makes like the next decade really worth it. You just put a finger on something that I've been trying to get my finger on for a really long time. And I I hope you don't mind, but I want to highlight it here. And that is, I've struggled to communicate to people what is unique about conference culture in cybersecurity? And we, we point to elements of what the conferences themselves are like and whatever. But I think what you hit on that's really important that is different, at least from my experience going to like dev conferences and other HR conferences and other things. Yeah, I've been to all sorts of interesting stuff is a lot of times the content is how to's and industry trends and things like that. They're all great topics. But if you look at cybersecurity and the topics that people discuss, and indeed, this is where it came from. I mean, this is when you think about where DEF CON even started. I mean, yeah, it was kind of just a, a grouping of friends, but it's a grouping of friends who wanted to get together and talk about what they were passionate about and how that led them to digging into and researching something or whatever. So much of the content, the genuine content at cybersecurity conferences is exactly that. I can think of a a bunch of different examples, things that weren't even really cybersecurity related necessarily, but tangentially fit that people shared this thing. Like you said, this kind of almost edge case but it was something cool that they wanted to dig into. I went to a talk at Black Hat years ago. This guy was talking about some type of, I don't even remember all the details of it now, but basically leveraging SVGs as an attack vector. And I'm like, how the heck did you get to that? And it turned out that he just, you know, he, he did like a lot of stuff with imaging and he worked with a lot of SVGs and he started to think about, well, wait, how could I leverage this? Let me dig into this some more, right? So we combine two passions he's got, and you see so much of that in cybersecurity too, where people will share a talk 
that unites something from their personal life that, you know, is kind of maybe a little unique to them. And they bring it to the cybersecurity world and it all feeds on each other. You know, I think about the people who work in like the car hacking village, right? Who are just really into cars and CAN bus. And then they started to figure out like, whoa, there's lots of stuff here that could be a problem. Those people oftentimes are not there sharing it as a, here's how to hack a CAN bus. Yeah, they talk about that. But it's like, hey, look at how this stuff all fits together. It's really cool, but here's all the problems with it. And oh, we're going to set up an example vehicle console so you can play with this too. All that, the villages and stuff that we have in conferences. I think that's a great demonstration of that. It's just people want to lockpick village. I want to share my excitement with learning how locks work and how to pick them. That's awesome. It really is. And actually, something that you made me think of is that in cybersecurity, we're so very focused. And this is an idea that IPSEC actually shared in a different conversation we had that we have this bias for negativity because we're constantly looking for things that are could go wrong. But what's interesting about presentations and, and cons specifically is that even though we're looking and explaining all of the ways that things could go wrong, we do so with enthusiasm and positivity on how we could actually fix this. And we're so excited about sharing all of those things and learning about those things and getting to know the people who actually, you know, did the thing, the, the weird little type of research that no one else has thought of. That enthusiasm it compensates, it balances things out, it puts everything in a bigger positive context, which I feel is such an unseen part of cybersecurity and something that I want to bring to people through these conversations and, and show them like, you know, there's so much love and enthusiasm on this side of the screen for all of these things. Like you have no idea. This is what I live for. I love this. <laughs> it's so true because you think about this, people talk about like the mystery aspect of cybersecurity, right? Like there, there's a mystery to be solved and we're going out there and we're solving it. And when you find a cool way to solve it or whatnot, and yeah, a lot of times that mystery is how can I break this thing? I mean, God, going back to day one of my life, basically, when I started to, you know, really exhibit early signs of being a hacker, I was four years old taking apart electronics. Why? Because the mystery of, I wanted to know how they worked. That was it. I mean, my parents weren't real happy when I took apart like, you know, VCRs and things, but it's that piece. And that's why I think we do have so much passion for it. Yeah, we're always thinking about what could go wrong. But a lot of times we're not even thinking about it from that perspective. It's like, how could I break this thing? Like, how can I make it do something it's not supposed to do? Or how can I just figure out how this works? Because it's a real mystery to me and I want to understand it. There's so much creativity in that. That's a thing that I think people miss too. I'm going to quote yet another one of my friends who, uh, you know, at a, a conference years ago, gave a keynote. And this is actually tattooed on my back because I loved it. I resonated with this so well was hackers are not freaks and criminals. We're artists and inventors. We're all creatives. If you really look at it and if you go back and, and widen your mind to what a hacker is, I mean, you can go to where the, the term actually was, I guess, incepted with this model railroading club that really was the one who's credited with coining that term. But it's just, it's that person who has that explorative and creative sense to try to figure out ways to solve problems in ways that other people didn't think about. So, I mean, you go back to like the Ada Lovelaces of the world, right? And, and you look at what 
you know, these people throughout history did that we wouldn't, we may not even consider them to be hackers because some of them had nothing to do with actually computers, but their spirit. I mean, think, think, think of Nikola Tesla. If there is one prime example of the spirit of a hacker, I mean, some of that stuff that guy did, it's a wonder it didn't kill him. But it was all because he had these great, cool ideas and he wanted to solve this problem of power distribution, for instance, and and things like that. And, you know, he just had this really idealistic view of what the world could be. Yeah, he had also some eccentricities and some might say some mental issues, but still, at his core, he envisioned a better world. That's what he was trying to create. And it's it's that passion, that creativity, that willingness to explore. Yeah, we do that in lots of spaces in tech, but I do feel like in cybersecurity, it's, it's a very unique setup. And a lot of it just comes from that mystery element. It feeds on that idealism, which I... Uh, the business world wants to tell us that idealism has no place here. This is this is not how we do things. This is not the reason why we do things. We care about different different types of KPIs and objective and whatnot. The fact that hackers exist in these cultures and make things happen and manage to thrive in being that level of creativity and passion and idealism in these spaces that are seemingly devoid of that. To me, that is a win in itself, and that is a battle worth fighting. It is a project worth pursuing, because those are the places that need this infusion of creativity and energy the most. That's where we need to bring change. That's where we need to affect change if we are to help others connect with their passion and, and develop their hacker mindset, whether it's applied to cybersecurity or anything else, honestly. That's where we need to bring humanity and conversations about emotions and, and connection and creating safe places to have difficult conversations. And to me, what I see is that many hackers are doing that, especially leadership roles, such as the one you have. You're bringing these conversations to a group of people who would otherwise perhaps not be that in touch with this aspect of their lives. I was wondering what that experience has been like for you to, to lead these people, to make a change this way, and to just give them a chance to explore the side of themselves. I mean, let me use some really corny terms, but it's been challenging and rewarding. You know, I mean, I think everybody says that those are really cliche terms, but they are true. I've learned so much from being, you know, I'm getting into executive spaces and being able to hear the conversations. I, I think there's a natural tendency for people, and certainly I was there at one time, to kind of, you know, you reject it and we use terms like management speak and blah, 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 and we kind of vilify it. But when you're actually in those conversations and you're hearing the business folks talk about the things, you're hearing finance talking about, you know, how do we manage cash flows and how do we manage these investor expectations sometimes and whatnot, you know, or you're hearing, you know, your HR person and what are they actually worried about as far as employee retention concerns and HR gets a bad name that they're all they are is, you know, worried about legal liability. Well, yeah, there's a lot of that, but there's also a reason for that. And that's not just all that they worry, you know, and so you get all these really interesting perspectives that somehow get lost and filtered out as it you know, sort of travels down the proverbial org chart. And so, I mean, I learned a ton. I made a lot of missteps. I mean, my consulting days, I guess, basically kind of <laughs> pissed off an entire board of an organization. You know, I said things not wrong, 
not dumb, but in a way that presented a picture that was not well understood and resulted in them making incorrect assumptions about what it meant. And so I've learned over time, I've, I've made my mistakes like everybody does. First of all, that's where learning happens is when you make a mistake, that's how you learn. If you were perfect at everything, you wouldn't learn a damn thing. But at the same time, it is, it's so cool. When I can sit down with say, well, let's take my CEO, for instance, and I can actually help him understand what does the tax surface management mean? Like, you know, why do, why do you, Mr. CEO, care that this is one of my strategic initiatives? Well, here's what it means. Here's what it does for us. Here's how it helps, you know, make our organization not only safer, but also more profitable. And that's the key. And this is the thing you'll hear so much from me. If you follow me on social media, I'm sorry, because you'll get sick of it. But being able to actually communicate a business value of cybersecurity that extends beyond the concept of reducing risk, showing how you actually help the business make money, showing you how you actually help the business create a competitive advantage. Those are the words of the other execs in the room. That's what they want to hear about. That's what's most compelling to them. And when you can do that, it's so effective. So that's the rewarding part of all this is having learned that and seen the success that not just me, but seeing my team exude those same ideas, right? And, and you see them now, they come to me with, you know, different things they're working on and they're like, hey, we just saved, you know, X amount of dollars for this business, or we were able to use the security tool to do some fraud prevention thing over here. And it's saving the business a bunch of money and making them more profitable now because they don't have to spend so much time on fraud processing and things like that. Like all those kinds of things, seeing that grow, not just in me, but in the people around me and seeing them get excited about it because they're seeing how it's making them more successful. That to me is the most rewarding thing. When I can see how something I brought to the table helped and made an impact on somebody else and help them grow and be you know, more excited, more passionate, more successful in their job, whatever. I love that. I love that. And when that happens, oh, that's, it's really a fantastic feeling of a deep sense of reward because it comes with connection. It comes with a connection of understanding of what that person needs and, and being able to offer them those opportunities to learn, to grow, to do projects, to see the results of, of their labor. You actually reminded me of just to, to go back to our conversation a bit, you said about contrib you mentioned contribution and how everyone contributes in, in their own specific way. And I feel for a community that values flexibility and open-mindedness, sometimes not to generalize, but parts of it can be very inflexible and very rigid about the labels that we put on things. And growing up and maturing is actually the process of knowing that these labels are temporary and that we can revisit them and go back to them and say like, oh, this is not particularly entirely true. And this comes from me thinking about business speak from the deep hatred that people have of marketing in this space. And I am a marketer, so it's it's very interesting. It makes things interesting for me to, to always try to explain that marketing and communication can be a force of good. And it's not just spewing crap all over the place and then using stereotypes and cliches and advancing all sorts of superficial things, which it does happen, but not all of the time. And there's more to it. 
just having this idea that there's more to it than what we think can be such a powerful start for a conversation. And that's what you do so, so well. And that's what you've, you've, you've started and kind of put together and refined in your book that offers career guidance in a way that's so compassionate and, and so meaningful in a space where like the conversation around like, where do I start and what do I do with my life and how do I figure it all out is one of the most frequent things that we have. And one of the most important ones, if we want to bring like other hackers of all backgrounds, generations and ages and everything else into, into this. So how did that project start? Like what kind of kindled it and how does it feel now that it's been in the hands of the community for, for a while and that you've seen, you know, the, the feedback come your way? Wow. How did it start? In so many ways, I can't really point to one. I mean, I guess you could say it started when the acquisitions editor from Manning reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to write a book? Um, you know, that was literally how I got it. I mean, that, that's tactically. But there was so much involved prior to that, right? Like, I've been in this industry long enough. You know, I think at that point that they contacted me, I was already actually working on, you know, I was gearing up for a TEDx talk on the same topic. And that was just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at this industry that's complaining we don't have enough people. And at the same time, I'm hearing, like you were just saying, from so many people who are like looking for that first step. How do I get into this industry? That's such a disconnect. Like, how can you sit here and say we have resource shortages when you got people who are pounding on the door trying to get in and can't figure out how? And then, you know, I mean, I did some surveys and some things that tied into this, and I started to see some patterns too. And then a lot of this, some of it reflected what I was already suspecting myself um, as far as around bad beat. It's just bad advice we give. And I always say it's bad advice because it's so common that it's become cliched, and yet it's not working. So clearly it's not good advice. And so I wanted to figure out how can I give something more productive? And some of this advice, and I know this is going to be a hot topic because I got blasted, blasted on LinkedIn for saying this. If someone comes to you and says, how do I get started in cybersecurity? And your answer to them is, well, you need to get some certs or you need to build a home lab and work there for a while first. You're not doing them any favors. We've been telling people that that's how you get into cybersecurity for 20 plus years. I've watched it. It doesn't work. It's helpful. I'm not saying there's no value in that. Obviously, certs are important because a lot of employers, especially the federal government, require them. Yes, you got to have at least one to get over that bar, right? Home labs can be great. They can be wonderful for the right person. But not everybody is going to sit down and learn and grow by building a home lab and telling them that that's a necessary thing or telling them you have to know how to program to be in cybersecurity. Bullshit. I can point you to numbers of people on my team who are incredible cybersecurity people who don't know how to program at all. And that's okay. It's so much broader than any of those. So when I sat down to write the book, the whole point was how can I give them something more meaningful? How can I give them something that's really actionable and that's going to benefit them when they go in for a job interview, right? when they submit their resume? How do I help them navigate that whole process from, gee, cybersecurity looks kind of interesting to, look at this, I, w I got my job and I'm, I'm, I'm already planning for the future. 
And if you go through the book, that's exactly what it does. My goal in all that was I wanted something more actionable than the books that were on the market at the time. Like there were a lot of books that talked about what you need to study, what you need to learn. Fine. That's already there. I don't need to repeat that. Let's go into instead, let's take this from a person-centric view. How do you take the gifts you have, the perspectives you have, and figure out what in cybersecurity is it that you are even interested in? What do you already know? What experiences do you already have? What skills do you already have that apply and would be of value in cybersecurity? How do you present that? Then how do you present yourself in your resume, in the interview process, and beyond? Taking stock of all of that and building a methodical strategy for this is how I'm going to tackle this unfortunately very difficult to enter job market. And it's difficult to enter for lots of reasons, but you know, there's hiring problems and how we hire. There's problems in the fact that we just don't have career paths for people. But that's another side I'm trying to fix, but that's a long fix. So how do I address it in the meantime? Let me help these people see a more person, individual-centric view of here's how I personally can get myself into cybersecurity. Ah, you walk the talk so beautifully on this, not just through the book, but because you encapsulate an idea that I love from, from a marketer who is actually one of my favorite people in the world. And he says, start where you are, use what you have. Just that. Yes. And that's it. Stop telling people they have to go out and create a whole bunch of new things about themselves. Yes, they should probably learn some stuff. They should probably study. But yeah, no, I mean, how can you just enable them and empower them to just leverage what they've already got? My favorite metaphor on this is the connection and the qualification of a barista to be a sock engineer or a sock analyst, right? And I walk through the whole thing. I think I do it in the book. I definitely did it in my TEDx talk. When you can see that and you can, now it's somebody who can take what they already have, what they already know, the skills they already have, apply that and credibly demonstrate how that would make them effective in the cybersecurity space. I mean, that's gold. Now you'll help people get jobs. At least I believe so. And them telling their stories, because when people hear stories, they start to believe that the potential is out there for them. They start to believe like, oh, maybe I can do this too. Because what I've seen people connect with first is not just the idea of a job prospect in an industry that's growing, that's challenging and has a lot of opportunities. It is a personal connection to the values and principles that sit at the core of this community. And when we boil it down, it's about, I want to help other people be safe. When we help other people with our gifts, with our experience and what we know, that's what makes us the happiest. It's scientifically proven and we have all of the proof we need. Anecdotal, lived, scientific, all of the proof we need to just know that at the end of the day, this is what it's about, that computers, uh, that humans are much more important than computers and that on the other side of the screen, there's someone who can truly benefit from, from what you have to offer and yeah, I feel very lucky that I get to be on the side of the screen from you and from many other people in this industry whom I absolutely love and respect and appreciate. And you just always make my day better and you always get me thinking about things that are meaningful and, and important. So I, I really is happening and my cheeks are going to match my jacket here in a second. <laughs> <sighs> and 
I really appreciate you having me on. This was this was enjoyable, and it was honestly, I enjoyed a little bit different perspective on what to talk about than maybe some of the other things that I typically talk about in any given day. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for that, especially because when I first mentioned empathy and groups of people who aren't necessarily kind of attuned to this type of conversation, I usually get a raised eyebrow. I was like, we have much bigger problems to solve than getting people to be empathetic and understanding what that means and how to practice it. They're like, yes, but just hang on for a second. Why do you think that? (laughs) How do you think you're going to solve those other problems? The core of it is empathy. Yes, but day after day, we're making, we're inching towards progress and that's worth celebrating. And thank you for being here, for for sharing your stories and for sharing your time with me. I do not take this for granted at all. And I can't wait to see what you do next and, and follow you on your adventures in cybersecurity and beyond, in the skies particularly. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, congrats! You made it until the end of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want to get the show notes and see the transcript and get other resources, head on over to cyberempathy.org. You'll find all of the episodes there and resources to help you have a more comfortable relationship with technology and security. Also, if you want to contact me, all my details are on there. And I'll see you soon. Bye!